What would you do if you had the ability to sync minds with your best friend? A partner? Maybe even a stranger? Would you share the deepest part of yourself with them? I can already read your mind. Then what am I thinking about right now? You're thinking about how much you want people to support our Kickstarter for our first feature film, Sync. You're so right. If we raise the money, we can make an amazing sci-fi thriller about mind syncing and toxic relationships. Support women in film and check out our campaign now. Just go to kickstarter.com and search Sync. That's S-Y-N-C. Or click on the link in our bio on social media and follow us at FemRegard and at Sync the Movie. Mmm, Fem. In 2010, a song by a 10-piece hippie folk pop group unexpectedly started appearing in seemingly endless amounts of movies, TV shows, and commercials. This sincere and lively tune caught the ear and heart of this week's guest, Tessa Markle, who later found herself dancing and singing along to them at an arts festival. The sing-song love ballad leaves all of us asking what home really means, and if we should all be more hot and heavy pumpkin pie over Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. show tessa today you're here to talk about edward sharp and the magnetic zeros and their song home but first let me ask you and matt too what do you consider to be home for you tessa is la home or is southwestern pennsylvania home is home when you're with a significant other or is it something bigger than that how do you feel about it? You know, for me, home is just wherever I really just feel at home. Like, I know that sounds super, you know, abstract, but like, there's a feeling, you know, when you go somewhere and you're like, this is home. And I literally like Pennsylvania and California are both home to me. I will say like, oh, yeah, I'm going home. I'm leaving home to go home. I'm like, I call both of them home simultaneously. <laughs> so, Gotcha. What about you, Matt? I really call Pennsylvania my home for sure. But I think part of that is when I did briefly live in LA, you know, I had Jonathan, I had like maybe one or two other friends, but to me, home was going back to the friends that I had had for 15 plus years with like this long lineage of memories and, and inside jokes and being close with my family too, that also has those so to me, my connection of home is like the place where people just kind of get gotcha. you. Yeah, I never get attached to houses or anything like that. I see some people get like real sentimentally attached to houses. When I moved out of my last house, which the house I had grown up in and then later moved into and no one was living there, I left and I'm like, oh, I'm going to live in another cool house. I don't really care about <laughs> that house. I'm out of there. But yeah, I would agree. It's more the people than the place, you know, the people and the animals more 
than the place. Uh, but that's not what we're really here to talk about. We're ta- we're here to talk about these freaking hippies. <laughs> this, man, this this is such a hippie band, and the more you get into them, I here's something. Speaking of home to all three of us in one way or another. I looked at this Time Magazine article. I remembered this before we did this thing. The article's from 2014, but it was a map where it showed the favorite band or artist from every state. And do you know what Pennsylvania's was? It was Imagine Dragons, right? No. Oh, that's the most recent one. The most recent map, it's Imagine Dragons, which is embarrassing. Damn shame. But... uh, (laughs) It was Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. I was no. like, I was like, how is that possible? I do not know a single person. I have never met a single person, unless it's you, Tessa. I have never met a single person who said this is their favorite band. Well, I can't you know, even brag that. No, no. <laughs> okay, but so here's the thing, Chris. We were talking before you joined the joined the call that like this is one of those weird songs where it's like it was a hit, but like was it a hit? Like looking at the Billboard charts, but maybe. Maybe we all remember it being a bigger song because Pennsylvania was like the spot where everyone was just blasting I, Edward Sharp <laughs> and the Magnetic Zeros. I, I guess, Tessa, hey, were you still in Pennsylvania or were you in L.A. when they played the Arts Fest? I was in Pennsylvania and I went to go see them actually at that concert. Okay. Yeah. Were they good? Yeah, they were amazing. And like they came into the crowd and danced with everybody. It was a very like communal experience. So it was a lot did. of fun. Yeah. yeah, of course they did. <laughs> Me and my How- friends all wore wigs. It was a great time. So okay. I'm going to start right now. I'm going to throw one card on the table. Up until this morning, I only knew this song by the band, but I liked this song and always you know felt jangling? like. No. You know jangling? Jangling? Jangling's no. a big one too. But I, I always knew this song and I felt like this would be a band that I liked because, man, if you you couldn't find someone who got more invested in the early 2010s folk pop movement than me. Like I was all in on Mumford Sons. I was wow. all in on the Lumineers. Like I was like, yes, give it to me. Like I was buying those CDs like crazy. But somehow I never got into Edward Sharp. But doing the research, be- beyond the fact that I was like, oh, yeah, this is a perfect Matt Kelly band. They remind me of like a hippie version of the polyphonic spree. Like that was the vibe that I was getting. Like big group of members. The lead guy is like the guy. Like if he goes away, the band doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. The band was born out of like them dealing with a giant tragedy in their life or or like a change in their life. For him, it was him getting clean from drugs and alcohol. I'm pretty sure the guy from polyphonic spree was after the death of the co-founder of Tripping Daisy he like started to clean up his life and polyphonic spree was born out of like that re- rehabilitation as well so there's a lot of parallels between the two and as a diehard polyphonic spree fan i can explain why this band is a one hit wonder very easily which is like <laughs> no one wants to listen to this shit all the time except for weirdos like me well the thing is too like the rest of the album is great i mean i i don't know any anything else beyond this album but i know the whole album pretty well but none of it is the same as this song like there's so many kind of slower less like exciting songs on the album so nothing yeah, like, was as catchy as this exactly. i listened to like songs off of every album they put out and nothing got stuck in my head as quickly as just the like Alabama, Arkansas, like that is just like logged into my brain now. Yeah. Okay. So Matt, I need to know, I didn't look this up. Where did this song chart? Did it chart? 
was it, it didn't it didn't even make it onto the Hot 100. But okay. this was the only song that they ever had even appear on the alternative and rock chart. Uh, it peaked at 25 on the alternative and rock chart. And I want to talk about this because I wrote down a list of all of the songs that were number one songs in the year 2010 on the alternative and rock charts. <laughs> and I have never heard of almost any of them. <laughs> but wow, somehow okay. this song only peaked at 25. It's very weird. So throughout the year, it was Alice in Chains, Your Decision, which was, I believe was their first attempt at an album without their original singer, Lane Staley. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Between the Lines, which was their last album with Scott Weiland. Three Days Grace, The Good Life. Shine Down, The Crow and the Butterfly. The Dirty Heads, Lay Me Down. Linkin Park, The Catalyst. I think I do remember that song vaguely. Disturbed, Another Way to Die. Stone Sour, Say You'll Haunt Me, and The Black Keys Tighten Up, which I think I vaguely remember that Black Keys song as well. I remember the Black Keys one, that's it. <laughs> that is an abysmal list of number one songs for this song that we have all agreed was everywhere to not even break the top 20 seems so insane. I don't understand how they're calculating stuff. Well, yeah. speaking of not understanding, I got to say one thing I noticed because I still have that map in front of me of the yeah. favorite state. Dirty Heads are actually... In 2014, the favorite band of Wyoming, somehow. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. I never know how they calculate that. That I've seen that map every couple of years, and I'm like, how are they doing this? Like, what is the research on going into this? Well, on this one, it's uh, apparently the Echo Nest, which provides a music intelligence platform to hugely popular services like RDO, like radio without an A, Spotify and MTV. So they have like lots of data to pull. And it's so it's probably basically just, we were streaming in Pennsylvania, more people were streaming Edward Sharp than anywhere else I in guess. the United States. Exactly. I okay. Yeah. I don't think I even had Spotify in 2014. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. As far as is what you're saying, this band couldn't even top things like I've heard, those are all like, acts that of course i know but don't know those songs or albums by them yeah yeah so it's more like the legacy of this song is bigger than the song was when it came out so yeah, it sounds like 100 yeah. and it i mean it appeared on so many things too so maybe that yeah. was why it just took some time i wrote down a nice little list here this song alone appeared in community raising hope glee modern family gossip girl the wilds and commercials for comcast and blue cross blue shield <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's that explains why it feels like a hit, even if it wasn't when it was released. And Matt, as I, I knew he would be so excited about this, but the Muppets also covered this song <laughs> and they even covered it. I don't remember the commercial and I tried to look for it, but hey, it said so. Uh, it said so actually in, I think, on the Apple Music description of like the band. The Muppets <laughs> covered this song in the Super Bowl. Like in a Super Bowl ad in 2017. Oh, wow. So I do. I think it was a car commercial. I think I remember this oh. commercial because it's the Muppets. So people send me things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, so you sent me the video of the Muppets playing this live, which I then passed on to Tessa as well. And I have to give credit where credit's due. It took me maybe 30 to 40 seconds to actually see 
the puppeteers cloaked in black behind yeah. all of the puppets. Like I was like, how are they doing this? Like, <laughs> I had the same thought. <laughs> I was like, is it marionettes? Like what's going on up there? <laughs> it was a fun little performance. They changed up the little talking part in the middle of the song, which we'll we'll get into to make sure they covered multiple Muppet movie plot lines. But I thought that was a fun cover at, at least. It's a fun it's a fun song. I think it's a good song. That's yeah. my vote right now. It's a good song. <laughs> I also think that this song is pretty good. I'm not going to take that away from it. I think they're an interesting band. There's a lot of members in the band. I think there might be like 10 or something. I didn't even bother to count. But there's, there's a- nine right now. I know for sure. Okay. So I think there was 10 when they started because Jade left the band. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jade left. that, And that's kind of an important member. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But what I will say about this band is their story is kind of a lot. It's. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little like I, I want to tune it out, kind of the way when I hear an acoustic guitar, I'm just like, okay, I'm good. I gotta, go, I gotta go, I gotta go do something, or my brain just goes on vacation as soon as someone strums one chord of acoustic guitar. Their Wikipedia page, the way I would put it, is that there's not a lot on the Wikipedia page, but what is there is is too much. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to back up to. I know it's cool to like have a story of how you're band started and everything but theirs is a once again it's a lot and b (laughs) it's way too la for me to like be like oh that's cool like no none of this is cool this is like weird and like not cool and kind Uh, of depressing (laughs) yeah i mean the band started when alex ebert broke up with his girlfriend moved out of his house went to rehab and then wrote a book about a messiah named edward sharp who was sent down to earth to heal and save mankind but kept getting distracted by girls and falling in love like yeah that's kind of a cool story it's a lot it's a lot for me like you could have just said like oh we just all i met with some people that like played cool music that sounds like made up I mean, yeah. I could did be wrong, you, but it sounds like bullshit. Did you read that he also was infamously uh, hanging out with Heath Ledger the no. night before Heath Ledger died? No. They were writing a book. To, they were writing a screenplay together oh. the night before Heath Ledger died called like Brothers, because that's why there's a song on the album about Heath Ledger called Brothers. Oh, hmm. no, I, I did see that that. All these people that were part of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, I guess the Magnetic Zeros. Well, wait, is he Edward Sharp? There is he's no Edward Sharp. Sharp. He's there Edward is Sharp, no... but I don't know who, why the Magnetic Zeros are who they are. Well, now they're just the Magnetic Zeros as of their last album release, which was back in 2016. But they put out an album called Persona with a capital A so that it also looks like Person A. But that album was Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, but then Edward Sharp End was all scratched out on the cover. So <laughs> oh, it just okay. said the Magnetic Zeros. And he said, like, ah, I figured it was time to kill off the character and just be a band. Okay. Seems aggressive. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I get it now. But they were all part of an art and music collective called The Masses, which was partially started and funded by Heath Ledger. Yeah. So Heath yeah. Ledger is that's the part where it's getting way too LA for me. Like <laughs> what you have you have big actors like funding you like look, this is just me being a little bit jaded as a as a person who believes you got to go out and like, you know, do the work and and go out and like hit the road like, oh, you guys just all like hung out and smoked weed and Heath Ledger like paid your bills while you made music. I just think if that's the case, if that's what went down, I think maybe they could have wrote some more good songs. <laughs> yeah. Because I I don't know. Like they had the resources. That's, 
That's so, me being overly critiquing about this, I guess. I so know. I will say, as I dug into their different stuff, that the Person A album, I really liked the songs that I heard from that. And the thing that's interesting about that particular album is unless I misread this, they recorded that all just in one room. Like it's almost like a live recording that they then just maybe, you know, redid the vocal takes over top of, but it was very like, let's do this like gritty and simple and, and, you know, let's not like overproduce it. Let's just plug it, you know, put some mics in a room, set up our instruments and just play. And then I'll redo the vocals. So it sounds clean over top of it. Right. Um, which is always I, cool when bands do that. I always like when they do something like that. Yeah, let's talk about the good stuff, though. I mean, there's a lot happening in this song. You have, you know, the the horns. You have the whistle. You have the whistling. <laughs> it's yeah. like a three a minutes section. of whistling. I looked. Yeah, it up. I read that over three, <laughs> three minutes, minutes of whistling in this song. <laughs> okay, I didn't realize it was three minutes, but that's 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 a lot. But <laughs> it's definitely like. It's ambitious. It's definitely really ambitious. It incorporates a lot of things that maybe don't normally go together. You wouldn't normally have the brass section and this type of thing. I, I mean, the band that comes to mind for me as being a Pittsburgher <laughs> here is Rusted Root. I was like, going to say uh, Rusted Root. <laughs> absolutely, I would think that these two bands are in the same world. And I grew up being like, ah, oh, fuck Rusted Root. Like, <laughs> But that's just me being a... A, a shitty punk kid like now i look at rusted root i'm like damn rusted root's awesome and i i recently my buddy brendan sent me he said if you watched this video lately and we watched the send me on my way uh music video i'm like this is incredible this music video is unbelievable they're like dancing in the mountains and desert and just having the best time and that's kind of how this song makes me feel that's tessa yeah. that's what your experience was is you went and you had the best time to their music. And if I'm going to go, is, does this border on jam band music? I mean, if you're saying there's three minutes of whistling in this music, in this song, I would say you're bordering on the jam world a little bit. I, and I don't know. Because drugs I might be necessary is what I'm getting at here. <laughs> you might I, need some psychedelics to make this really good. I feel like there's too there's almost too much going on that are like perfectly placed for it to be jam. You know what I mean? Like when I listen to like if I listen to a Dave Matthews song or even we did Grateful Dead, like you can hear the parts in those songs where it's like, all right, we're just kind of doing our thing. You know, we're gonna let this guitar solo happen. But this is like so I feel like this is one of the most meticulously put together songs we've talked about in a while in this show because every part has a purpose, but it's not like a consistent purpose throughout the entire song. You know what I mean? Like the horns just come in at the right spots and then completely vanish from the recording after that. I'm also going to say as a deadhead and a fish fiend, it's too short of a song to be a jam band song. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess I was going to ask you when you went and saw them, if they went off script. Or if it was like no, they um, the, the only part that they did go off script was for the spoken word part in the middle. They tried to get like the audience to mm. to do their spoken spoken word, um, which didn't work. Uh, you know, <laughs> nobody in the audience is ready <laughs> for that. It's not a very memorable speech. <laughs> well, I think they wanted them to like say their own experience, but everybody's uh, like, oh, uh, you know, the people that they tried to pull, which I was personally really upset about because this song is like the song for me and my best friend Marion. This is like our song, so every time we sing it every time we're together we do our own spoken word of like 
something that happened in our lives. So this is something we were born to do, but we just weren't close enough to Alex to like get him to pull us from the crowd. <laughs> so. Hi friends, the world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Matt, did you listen to more Edward Sharp now? You said you only knew this song. Did you? Yeah, did you no. Dive? I spent maybe a good hour. I was decorating for Halloween and had Edward Sharp on while I was doing that. And uh, not exactly the sound of Halloween, <laughs> um, but, but I enjoyed it. I mean, this is... I don't know if I'm going to go with Thunder or Blunder quite yet on this episode, but I know that I am now an Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros fan, but that's very much like my type of music. Like when I was doing research, I was like, oh, they went on tour with Mumford and Sons and the old Crow Medicine show. Like, of course they did, because I love that type of music. Like, See, I do love... that is not a selling point for me. No. <laughs> that, that That is like... I, and I am a very op- open-minded to music. I kind of like everything except pop country music. Like, other than that, like, I, I like everything. But, ooh, it's hard for me to like something... What is what style of, is this Americana? Is this folk? What 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 is it? What is it? Exactly? I would say it's like is folk it? pop, right? Like I guess that folk would pop? be like the yeah. Amer- it's definitely got Americana in it for sure. The second you have like banjos and and stuff like that, you're kind of pulling a little bit of that Americana bluegrass tradition. I don't think that they are as Americana as like Mumford and Sons. Like, I just remember when I heard Little Lion Man for the first time, I was like, yo, what is this? But I'm a man who loves a banjo. (laughs) I don't think I got the love for the banjo that you do. (laughs) But it's like a little too simple almost to be Americana. Like as many things that are going on in the song, like it's still a simple song, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like a song that was written with the intention of like, a dude picking up the acoustic guitar and playing it around a campfire with their friends. You know what I mean? Like it's like the the folky version of like Wonderwall. Like like it was supposed to be that simple song that everyone could learn the lyrics to and sing. Well, when they wrote it, because I heard this in a podcast that Alex had done. So he had written the music already, but had no lyrics. And he was dating Jade at the time. So they had like just, you know, had a day date, whatever, come back. And he's playing the song for her. And he said she literally just jumped up, went, give me the mic and just kind of improved the lyrics. So the lyrics are really mostly her, actually. And he wrote the music already. So that's kind of how it came okay. to be. It was like on on the spot kind of thing. Yeah, it is a very, it's very sing-songy. Like, mm-hmm. I think that the people, obviously people know the chorus, the home, let me come home, home is wherever I'm with you. And the opening line, the Alabama, Arkansas, I do love my mom and pa. But that sing-along style continues throughout the whole song. Like, yeah. they might not be like the most catchy, memorable lyrics, but even like, what is this, like, Hot and heavy pumpkin pie, chocolate candy, Jesus Christ, ain't nothing please me more than you. Like, it is a very sing-songy love song for sure. Yeah. I guess when I think of her, the band I kind of think of is Florence and the Machine. They put me in the same mind of them in a way, although I think I like Florence and the Machine a lot more. But, ah, 
Yeah, what what year is this from, by the way? Did we talk this about 2010. that? 2010. 2010 oh, this, this 2010. came out. Right. Yeah, I guess I do remember this being on Community. That yeah, it's in the debate episode. Which oh. actually it got released on Community before it was like released a as a song. Yeah. Wow. This is one of those songs where remove the lyrics, just have the instrumentation with that whistling. Of course, this was showing up in TV shows and like commercials and movies. Like, it feels like it was written exclusively for that, which, like, strike. I gotta give a strike against Alexander here because I also read a couple interviews where he's like kind of complaining about how popular the song was and like, it kind of ruined. (laughs) Like, he's one of those dudes where you're just like, come on. Like, you wrote a catchy song. I can't say that about a lot of the other songs. On your album. Like, well, wait a second. What was he? Uh, in what way was he complaining? This song wasn't even like a. Like you said, it didn't even chart in the top 100. What's he complaining about? That's probably the complaint. It didn't chart, but it got on everything. <laughs> I, I got to know because this is really going to come into into play. Home was featured in a commercial that for the NFL that focused on the many cities and their home fans. It was used in the movie Book of Life, in an episode of Community, and in the season one finale of Raising Hope. Home was even covered by the cast of Glee. The commercial ubiquity of the song Home and other derivative pop folk songs eventually grew to frustrate Alex Ebert. So like, I feel like he just got annoyed that like this song was everywhere and that like there were imitators coming out afterwards doing similar stuff. I will say though, like the best cover that I have seen of this song, my personal favorite was this YouTube duo, Jorge and Alexa. It's a father daughter. The daughter's like, I don't know, maybe five I years old at the this time. this one, yes. I oh have watched this video probably a thousand <laughs> times. I love it so much. They sing it together and it's adorable because she's, you know, like I said, like five years old. And there's one part in the middle that he's whistling the whole time and she's just like trying to whistle, but she can't. And she, you hear her go, one day I'm going to whistle, which is like the cutest. Like every time I sing this, like I said, with my friend Marion, I say that because <laughs> it's just so adorable. But highly recommend watching that on YouTube, by the way. missed this when I was first doing the research and now I've got to uh, make a mental note to look this up afterwards but their music video for their song Kisses Over Babylon appeared in an episode of Beavis and Butthead so oh. definitely definitely want to hear what Beavis and Butthead had to say about the Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero. That would absolutely <laughs> shape my opinion on them. <laughs> I feel like they weren't kind. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what some of the other artists were at this time that were doing this. Like, obviously, like I said, the Mumford and Sons and the old Crow Medicine show definitely like are big ones. But then, yeah, I think what it was like a year later, you get like the Lumineers with Hey Ho, like kind of came out and was everywhere. There was this very brief period of time where like pop, pop folk music was like showing up everywhere. What the hell? Oh, like of Monsters and Men in 2011 with Little Talks. I remember that being a pretty big single it says james blunt i don't i don't know if i would put james blunt in the folk pop category as well i mean i would say technically it is folk pop but it's certainly not the same like vibe (laughs) it's not nearly as cheerful (laughs) james blunt is you're beautiful is that him (laughs) yep (laughs) 
That's the one. <laughs> Do I sound like him? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, Nailed it. <laughs> but I do remember this being like I can't remember any of the big bands, but there was definitely a, a early 2010s movement of like acoustic guitars, weird instruments, lots of people singing the chorus. <laughs> so. But I feel like this was kind of just like the beginning of that because you know bands like like Old Crow Medicine Show they've been around forever, but they certainly weren't that popular. You know, like yeah. The, the other like Munford and Sons, like that was like really the like explosion of it to everyone that wasn't already just like in that scene, you know. So I feel like this was kind of the forefront of that becoming a very popular thing for everyone, not just yeah. fans of that music. The Avet Brothers, wouldn't they be another one in this world? A- man, I love the Avet Brothers. I guess all I can say about it, and I I know what it is. I like music with a where the kick kicks you in the car and. I really like, I love pop music. I really love pop music and I really love hip hop and I I really love R&B music. And this just, (laughs) I know what it is. Look, and as being me, I know this sounds weird to say, this just sounds like, and I don't even know, this is going to come off real weird because I don't even know the, the, what the races of the people in the band are. This just sounds like the whitest band ever. This just sounds like white people music <laughs> yeah. so hard. So I did some, so a ton of Wikipedia Googling. I landed on a list of folk rock artists, which I feel like is the closest we're going to get to finding anything that we're looking for. Um, and I, I want to start with like what they considered the sixties version of this. Cause I feel like that's what Edward Sharp is pulling from. Like you said, there are a bunch of hippies. When you look under folk rock, you get stuff like Creedence Clearwater Revival, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, the Young Bloods, the Mamas and the Papas, uh, and Country Joe and the Fish. Like I can 100% see those influences in Edward Sharp's sounds. I'm going to skip the Celtic rock. I'm going to skip the folk punk because I feel like that's a different thing. But then there's this bottom category that was uncategorizable folk rock. Oh. <laughs> which some of the some of this is questionable, like Bright Eyes and Bare Naked Ladies is in here, which I don't think of anything. But the name that jumped out at me, the Decemberists. That is the that is the group that I'm like, yes, this is what I think Edward Sharp and and the Magnetic Zeros were falling into that category of was stuff like that. Wilco's on this list. I feel like Wilco's a little bit stronger. <laughs> Then Wilco's another band that I've like tried. Yeah. I've tried so many times because people hold them in such high regard. Like, and I'm like, what am I not hearing here? What am I missing? <laughs> There's some weird ones on here. Flight of the Concords is on the uncategorizable folk rock. <laughs> I think that's list. fair, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I also see REM on this list and the I Hooters. Mean, Father <laughs> John, Father John Misty kind of yeah. dabbles in that world some. And I like, I think he's interesting. I, I like some of his songs. Maybe I need to go to a show. Maybe I need to go to a show. Have a good time. Well, <sighs> see, here's the thing, too. So I've seen them twice now and the shows were very very different so (laughs) the one that i saw in pittsburgh like i said it was super fun he came out into the crowd it was very like the crowd was a part of it you know the other show that i went to see i don't remember exactly where it was i think it was out here in la but jade had already left the band and you could tell that things were different after Mm -hmm. she left 
and Alex was sick or he just like needed vocal rest or something, but he came out before the show started. He's like, hey, everybody, I just want to apologize. My voice isn't like totally on par. I just chugged some olive oil in the back. So let's hope this is going to be a great show and let's go. And we're all kind of like, okay, sure. But just, you know, the energy was a lot lower. It was a lot more like the vibes of all the other songs on the album more so than home. And it was just a very different show. Still, I mean, they still did a good job, but certainly not the experience that I had the first time in Pittsburgh. Maybe it was because he knew he was playing for his number one fans in Pennsylvania when he came to Pittsburgh in LA. He was like, I saw that map. (laughs) Yeah. I saw that map. Apparently the favorite band of California is Bonobo. (laughs) Who is Bonobo? No idea. (laughs) Can we talk about, I want to talk about this map a little bit more. This is the map where Edward Sharp and the Madnetic Zeros were apparently Pennsylvania's favorite band. Once again, this is from Time Magazine, and it is from 2014. But I I thought this was interesting. Matt, you'll think this is interesting. This year, Iowa's favorite artist, we just talked about him a lot on one of our Patreon episodes, B.O.B. Yeah, boy. (laughs) Illinois' favorite was Sufjan Stevens. Okay. Jack Johnson was the favorite of Michigan. <laughs> Fallout Boy was the favorite of Kentucky. Wouldn't hmm. have guessed that. And this, uh, I feel like this is made up. I refi- I'm looking at the same <laughs> map as you are right now. You're telling me that Wiz Khalifa is more popular <laughs> in Arkansas than he is in Pennsylvania? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lincoln Jackson, huge in Arizona. Kurt Vile, huge in Oregon. This map looks like... <laughs> This looks like it's a contest where it's like, can you can you place where the correct artists are supposed to yeah. go? Juicy J is Tennessee's favorite, really. This is someone's own personal favorites, and he was like, yeah. "This suits this state. Yeah. This they like this." Like the only one that makes even remote sense is like Bruce Springsteen, New Jersey. Like, yeah, duh. <laughs> but like, I could see New Hampshire being fish, and I, I could see, see that actually, yeah. Yeah, I think you got I those s- backwards. I think that's Vermont. Oh. Oh. I think Vermont is fish and New Hampshire is Grateful Dead. You're, but you're either right. way. You're Vermont right. and my- New Hampshire are the same thing anyway. Yeah, <laughs> right. And my experience is there. That makes sense. Nirv- I love that Nirvana is Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> There's only like 100 people there, so I guess yeah. that makes sense. I think what is important is we got we to gotta figure out how, how we feel. We know how Tessa feels about Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero. She, she's giving him a thunder. I'm, I don't mean to steal your thunder there. There, Tessa, but <laughs> no, it's are, true. Are, but I mean, I will say it's because like this song has a special place in my heart, like I said. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got the personal connection to it. But and I will sure. say also, I do love this song. Like, it's such a great song. But compared to everything else that they put out, like, this is the only really like amazing song. Like, the rest is mm-hmm. kind of background music to me. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at with it is, you know, I dug in, I watched all the songs they had music videos for. I watched and I, like I said, I knew Janglin for some reason. Mm-hmm. That's a song where they actually go, <laughs> they actually say the name of the band in the song, yeah. uh, which I always think is funny. But yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. This is by far their best song. And uh, well, what, what are you feeling about it, Matt? Uh, I mean, I'm going to probably go with a blunder on this one, even though I love the group and I love the songs like... Yeah, there's a reason why this was the big one. Like listening to a bunch of their different stuff over the years, like 
there is nothing that they have written that is as good as this song. <laughs> like this is this is almost like a perfect song that they kind of had this like lightning in a bottle moment with and then the rest of it like yeah no wonder they never had another hit like i i enjoy it i think it's proof that like jade is the magic sauce of of this band like alex is the front man but like you know she put the lyrics in here she's the reason this song exists like she's the story behind you know it's she put yeah. the spice in there no i think that that's fair and it, it is it's just like a uh I, like it's almost one of those like a group like this shouldn't have had a hit in the first place almost you know like like they just shouldn't have like it, it should have been it's the same thing with like when we talked about like the Grateful Dead like it's nothing against the Grateful Dead but they just weren't a band that should have ever had a radio single to begin with like the fact that they did was almost a fluke it feels like home is in that same category of like it's almost a fluke that this band had any mainstream success at all it should have been like a weird cult band that people would like recommend to their their hipster friends <laughs> that's that's the perfect way to put it and maybe like, it's a little little played out at this point but it is very much like a hipster band when the hipster sound wasn't so much like a cool interesting rock band in a dive bar but more like a walk in the line of a hippie thing yeah <laughs> and that is where, you know, if I'm the deciding, now I'm the deciding factor here. If it's, if it's one thunder and one blunder, I was very much on the fence of like, this is a really good song. I'm not saying yeah. this isn't a really good song. I, d- even despite my aversion to the sound of acoustic guitars and maybe my aversion to people dancing in a field, <laughs> I think maybe what, what pushes me over the edge to blunder with this band is what you said, Matt, which I didn't even know about the dude bitching about them have about the popularity of the song. Unless I took that wrong, <laughs> uh, but like you, dude, you can't come. You're not allowed to do that. You can't yeah. complain about the fact that your song was popular. That sucks. There's people. I mean, not just me. There's a million, there's a million artists out there who would love to have that level of success. Would kill to have that level of success. And you're you're bitching about something about it. I, that rubbed me the wrong way. Now, unless I took it the wrong way from what you read, Matt, it sounds like. I don't know if there's another way to take it. <laughs> yeah, like it literally just sounded like he got annoyed that the song was everywhere. Like, How like, on earth could you get annoyed by that? Like, that's what I mean. It's like it's it's a very like the definition of a first world problem complaint at that point is like, Oh no, I I wrote a song that everybody has unanimously decided is great. I wonder (laughs) if that's kind of the danger of like being musician that you write a song about like someone you love and then you break up and then you're like, Oh fuck. Now I have to hear this everywhere. I it's a song about my ex, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm taking this decision real seriously. And what I'm going to do here, I'm going to take away all the stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go purely on, how good this song is it is a really good song and all this stuff like the way this band came together the little bit of like what what, i'm gonna say it's thunder this song still this song was popular when the muppets did that super bowl commercial that was seven years later like the song has stood the test of time and i think it'll continue to be popular i think it brings people happiness tessa i like your story that it's like you and a friend's song you have with each other you, you and i think that's probably for a lot of people and the message is nice mm-hmm. home is 
whenever I'm with you. I like that message. I think that's a universal theme that everyone can relate to. So despite my problems with the band and whatever, <laughs> I'm going to say Thunder. And that, that makes it a thunder. That's two yeah. to one, Matt. Sorry. Well, yep. Sorry you hate Edward Sharp so bad, Matt. <laughs> I mean, I really do. But before we go, Tessa, you've got a Kickstarter going on that you need to tell us about. Yes. So we are making our first feature film, Sync. It is a sci-fi woman-led film. And you can find us on Kickstarter if you just go to kickstarter.com and search Sync, S-Y-N-C. It's the first thing that pops up. And we are running until the end of the month. The 27th, I think, is the last day. So help us out and feel free to follow us on social media. Our production company is at FemRegard, F-E-M-M-E, Regard. And then we also have one for this film. It's at Sync the Movie. Hell yeah. That's awesome, Tessa. I wish you you all all the luck with that. Uh, I know that... I know that Kickstarter things can be a little intense. I've been part of those where it comes down to the sometimes comes down to the last day and stuff. But I, I have uh, I have high hopes for you guys. And yeah. And thankfully, we have Steve and Jim from Craft Services helping us out. They oh, have you been do? Nice. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. So. Nice. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing cool. our worlds together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Vefalios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the Punchline song, How Did This Happen, off their album Just Say Yes. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash ohtpodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris and I at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. He made it to 100, but this is strange, don't you think? The people around him, he's only known for 30 years. He takes one of his last breaths, and sounds like it's weird. Where's the first wife, the child, or the best friend? When he was 20, he used to You're listening to the Geekscape Network.